Again, my name is Father John Paul Walker, and as pastor of St. Mary Parish, I'm very pleased to once again welcome all of you downstairs here to the educational portion of our program tonight, uh, this afternoon. At this point, I would like to uh, introduce Andrew Walther from the Knights of Columbus, Vice President, who will be uh, introducing everyone else and explaining uh, how this portion of our program will proceed. Thank you very much, Father John Paul. My name is Andrew Walther the Knights of Columbus Supreme Council here in New Haven. And, of course, the Knights of Columbus were founded here in the basement of St. Mary's, so it's always a, a wonderful place to be and a wonderful place to, to welcome uh, the Archbishop and Bishop Soro as well. So um, the Knights of Columbus have been involved in assisting Christians in the Middle East, particularly in Iraq and Syria, and then those that have fled to some of the neighboring countries as well, since 2014. And over the course of that time, we've committed about $19 million to a variety of projects, food, clothing, education, medical, reconstruction, construction, and various other uh, elements that were necessary for the people that were displaced by ISIS. And for us, it was a very important thing to do for a number of reasons. We have a history of doing uh, work for persecuted Christians in Mexico, certainly in the 1920s, during the Cold War, etc. So this is something that has been a part of the Knights of Columbus history for a long time. And we're grateful that today we have members of our Supreme Council. We have Supreme Officers with us, John Morella and Ron Schwartz. We have Scott Flood, one of our Supreme Directors. And of course, we have a number of our state officers, including our state deputy, Steve Bacon. The way this will work is just to have a, a brief question and answer for those that might have questions based on today's program, and I'll introduce uh, briefly who's, who's here, and then they can just sort of go in order from, from the Archbishop down here. But we have, of course, Archbishop Blair and Bishop Soro, and also Steve Rasha, who is the Refugee Coordinator for the Archdiocese of Erbil and the General Counsel for the Archdiocese of Erbil, which is a city in Kurdistan in northern Iraq, where after ISIS invaded the Christian areas of, of uh, Nineveh, Mosul, etc., in 2014, many of the Christians fled to Erbil because it was the closest safe place 50 to 70 miles away from, from where the action was. So without further ado, I'll introduce the Archbishop just to say a couple of words, and then Bishop Soro and Steve. Yes, well, I, I simply want to repeat uh, the welcome that I uh, gave to uh, Bishop Soro at Mass and words of appreciation to the Knights for all that they have done. And uh, my pledge is, as a bishop in the United States, I know that our Conference of Bishops is very, very concerned and uh, it takes very much to heart the plight of suffering Christians around the world, particularly in the Middle East. And so that is something that I feel obliged to do and, and, and want to do. And I'm, I'm grateful that we have this occasion uh, today to be able to further that cause. So thank you all very much for being here. And thank you, Bishop Sorrow. Thank you, Your Excellency. Uh, it's an honor uh, for me to be here. Uh, actually, it's a dream come true to uh, come and visit, uh, visit Your Excellency and the Dominican community and this uh, beautiful uh, uh, company, uh, but particularly at this church. Uh, it's a church uh, held very close to our hearts because the, it is the birthplace 
of one of uh, the most shining organization uh, uh, in the Catholic Church, lay organization of the Catholic Church, the Knights of Columbus, uh, to whom uh, the persecuted Christians of Iraq uh, owe a lot of gratitude. And I am here today to express that. And I will not uh, say more because uh, I think we should listen also to Steve Rasha and uh, leave the rest of the time for your questions. Thank you. Thank you, Your Grace. Um, I'll be real quick uh, and speak uh, about two things. Uh, first is the, uh, uh, the importance of the work that the Knights of Columbus uh, and other uh, primarily Catholic Christian organizations have done in Iraq over the last four years during this time uh, of, uh, of severe persecution, uh, indeed genocide. Uh, it's absolutely true to state that without uh, these organizations, with the Knights of Columbus uh, at the head, uh, certainly here in the U.S., the, the Christians of northern Iraq would have already perished. Uh, there was nobody else that was moving quickly enough and in a dedicated manner enough to avert the, uh, uh, the existential crisis that was being faced. Uh, and so especially to those of you uh, who are affiliated with the Knights here, uh, we cannot thank you enough. Uh, these people would have perished uh, by now. Um, gets me to my second point is that uh, the journey for the Christians of Iraq is not over. Uh, they survived ISIS uh, in some form, uh, quite badly uh, uh, beaten and wounded, and now they faced a, a whole host uh, of other issues. Primarily, will they be, ever be able to return to their homes? Their, the towns that they lived in were, may have been liberated uh, from the ISIS uh, military forces, at least overtly, but if any of you have seen the, the film that's looping in the back there, um, you can see what the condition is of the towns uh, that they've, uh, they've had to come back to. Their homes are destroyed. Uh, their homes are still in disputed lands that are, are being uh, uh, contested by the Iraqi government, by various militias, by the Kurdish government, and the people live in a, com uh, a completely uncertain state. Will they get power? Will they get water? Will they be able to come back to their homes uh, in time uh, to not find them uh, 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 confiscated by people uh, from other groups? And there are other countries that are working very diligently to change the historic demographic uh, of the, the area of Nineveh, uh, pre uh, predominantly uh, the Christian areas. And so they're fighting against all of these things. Um, if they're unable to return to their homes, uh, their former homes in, in some of these towns, uh, such, which is the case, for instance, in Mosul. Mosul had historically a very large Christian population, and it's gone. It's gone. The people that who lived there continue to be displaced. Uh, their situation does not show up in the radar screen of any rebuilding that's going on. They're, they are completely wards of the church, um, the, primarily the Catholic Church, and if it w was not for uh, the church continuing to take care of them, uh, there would be nobody. 
so, so these situations continue to exist with thousands and thousands and thousands of displaced families. They're unable to go anywhere because, uh, for the most part, uh, countries around the world are not accepting uh, refugees from the Middle East. Um, and so they're stuck. They're stuck. And their situation, uh, although uh, they do not have ISIS right on top of them right now, their situation is every bit as perilous. And that uh, is the purpose of our visit here today. One of the things we became uh, very concerned about was that there still was not awareness, particularly in the U.S., as to the continuing uh, seriousness of the crisis being faced by Christians in the Middle East. And despite efforts at uh, larger scale media and, and testimony in front of Congress and other places, uh, we still uh, thought together with the Knights that this type of approach where we sent people around the country and sat down in settings like this to speak directly to you is really uh, uh, the, the best way for us to, to go about making sure that you don't forget them. And, and when people ask, well, what can we do? The first and last thing we say is, please, just pray. Pray for them. You know, if you pray for them, They'll be in your hearts, they'll be in your minds, and when they're in your hearts and minds, you'll be thinking about them as you address what our leaders are doing or not doing. Um, and, and this solidarity is a, is a very real thing. So if there's nothing else that you can do, please remember to pray for them. Thank you. If anyone has any questions, we'd certainly be happy to, to answer those for you. There, there, and there's a microphone in the center of the room that you can use so everybody can hear. Hi. Sorry. Um, so my name is Kellyanne. And um, so I just had a question. Aside from prayer and donations, what are some more tangible things that we could do to help the refugees? Um, and then also I wanted to point out that there is an organization um, in New Haven called IRIS. <laughs> not to be confused, um, it's I-R-I-S, and it helps with household goods, clothing, what have you. It helps the refugees. So I would strongly um, and encourage people that instead of donating to other organizations, to donate to that to help the refugees. Um, I, I guess I would say that there, there are, are two things that, that you can do. Um, uh, one is, is make sure your politicians and your elected leaders are, are paying attention to this. Uh, it's, a, it's an easy situation to lose track of. And, and the Christians, uh, without getting into the politics of it, the, the Christians are not at the top uh, of a lot of lists in terms of uh, people that, uh, that uh, governments around the world want to take care of. And, and, and it's only because of pressure that's come uh, from the church, from the Knights of Columbus, and uh, hopefully from uh, from uh, the electorate uh, such as yourselves, that they they do continue to pay attention to it. So that that's one thing. The second thing I, I would say is you you know at the end of the day it is money that that makes a difference. Um, the things that are needed uh, for the people over there. Are, uh, are the things that, that, that keep them going, um, and not just in terms of providing money for humanitarian aid, 
but looking at ways that you can help uh, uh, help in sustaining uh, the economies of these regions. And, and there are more things that we hope will be coming uh, down the line here in this next year uh, that will help with that. But uh, uh, sustainable economies so that they can have jobs is a huge thing. In terms of uh, donations, uh, certainly the organization you've spoken of uh, sounds like a, a very good thing. I, I would also say that, for that uh, uh, donations which go uh, through the Knights of Columbus to their fund for the persecuted Christians, 100% of that comes directly to us. It comes directly to the churches so they can put those funds directly at work uh, uh, for the persecuted people in their communities. I have... I have one point to add to the question, to the answer that Steve articulated uh, to the question of the young lady. Uh, as far as the political issue in Iraq, uh, in my opinion, uh, the political issue, the political lobbying and pressure that American citizens would do to affect change in Iraq, uh, so far all the help all the solution are only interim solution. They will come to an end. You cannot, by any means, the Knights of Columbus cannot sustain uh, the financial aid for years and years and years. It's not possible. So we have to think of a grassroots solution. Uh, it's the proverb, instead of giving somebody uh, food, always you have to give him a rod and teach him how to fish so that he can rely on, on himself, on herself. In Iraq, unless there's a political pressure on the Iraqi government to add legislation to the Iraqi constitution in which the rights, the human rights and the ethnic rights of the Christians are preserved to be honest with you, everything else is cosmetic. It will expire by time because it cannot, democracy cannot be sustained from the outside. It has to be an innate, something from the inside. And we think, this is, uh, by the way, this is uh, an opinion of major politicians from Iraq and elsewhere who are experts in the situation of the persecuted Christians. If there is a room to, to pressure Iraq, it is in this aspect. We have another question. My name is Denise Sargis, and I go to the Holy Apostolical Church of the East, the Assyrian Church. I'm Assyrian as well. I have family that are Chaldean, and I have family that are also Orthodox. Um, the question that I have or to answer is that a lot of Christians get persecuted in the UN camps, so they do not go. So they go to the churches for refuge. And that is one of the biggest problems that we're having for our people is that they cannot go to the UN, so they are not listened to. And the holy burden is on the, the churches to support them and to give them a place to live and to feed them. So the support is really needed. Thank you. My name is Patty. 
Um, since 2003, when things went bad, uh, I've been trying to raise awareness to American people because it's really not getting into our common news. It's not on Channel 8, it's not on CNN, what's happening with the Christians. Um, but when I start to talk about it, I'm often told, I don't want to get into politics. Where's the line between politics and changing the Constitution and the suffering that the Christians are doing behind the country's leaders, Turkey, Iraq, everywhere? Where's the line? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the concern. My answer is uh, thank you for your concern. I think it's a fundamental start for uh, every genuine human being and every true Christian is to care for others. Uh, in fact, I, I try to convey this message to you. Believe me, you have taught us a lot. Uh, true, suffering is a great teacher. It converts us. It gets us away from sinfulness. But charity also is a great teacher. So your charity, your caring, is something uh, that does amazing things. We thank you for that. And uh, if many people begin thinking with charity, with compassion, I think somehow good people can find opportunities to lobby, to uh, to come together, to put their effort together in order to change uh, things. I think this is the hope of Western civilization. It is built on the consensus and goodwill of good men. This is what God started through the prophets, through Christ, to show us what love can do. And I think based on you being here by itself is an act of charity, an act that can, can remain for a long time, can signal and can affect many good changes. Continue doing that. I think it is, it, this is a way of making ourselves available to become instruments and tools in God's hand. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm John Berger. I'm with the international Catholic website, Alatea. A uh, question for Mar Barway and also perhaps for Mr. Rashi. Uh, although both of you are connected to Iraq, I'd like to ask you for your reaction, your thoughts about this past week's chain of events in Syria and the U.S. reaction to it, um, the alleged chemical attack. And how might this all play out uh, for Christians in the Middle East? How might that affect the situation for Christians in Iraq and yeah. Syria? Well, it is sad. Uh, the other day I read, uh, I read a one-liner uh, to a Christian author who says, for me, war is mass murder. Uh, and I think in, in the human journey, in human Western civilization, there has been a lot of attempt to understand war 
and articulate it in a way that we can coexist with war because wars are part of human reality. You cannot not deal with them. And so is the situation in Syria. As Christians, uh, when we are asked of our opinion, the first thing that comes to mind, look, I had nothing to do with that bombing. I had nothing, nothing to do with that conflict because by nature we are pacifist people. By nature we are people oriented to serve others. We have tolerated, we have exercised tremendous amount of, uh, of patience. In fact, for 14 centuries, this is what you are seeing, what you are witnessing since the early 2000s. This is what our culture is. This is the memory of generations and generations of Assyrians, of Chaldeans, of Syriac people. Our hymnology, our stories, our whole culture is based on a hope that God please save us from these evil times. So really, we don't know what is going on. We are not consulted. We are only bombed. We're not even warned. We are deprived. We are raped. We are destroyed. Uh, in Syria, there are a, 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 a lot of actors on the, on the military political scene. Many of them are really bad actors. Uh, I hope, I really did not expect any uh, gassing if you will, a chemical gassing uh, by the government because of the first American strike there. I mean, who would dare to do such a thing? And, and they knew for sure that they would receive what the US government has done last week. So there are really rumors that it was not the Syrian, the, 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 Syriac, uh, gov the Syrian government, but there are, the French are saying, no, we have the proof that it was uh, Syrian government that bombed. Who knows? I think those people who know can really answer this question. For us, we are a community that no matter how it goes, we know that we will suffer. That's why your stand with these poor people makes a world of difference. Believe me, I have no words to tell you. Probably the Knights of Columbus and people, great people like Steve, who has invested so much time and effort and, and lobbying there and here, really know the, the essence of this dynamic. But the only thing I say, I urge you to continue praying and thinking of these poor people. Just to follow up on that, uh, to put it into context of the uh, Iraqi experience, um, the, the common uh, way of looking at things in Iraq now from the standpoint of the Christians is Saddam was an evil tyrant and compared to the horror that came after, his was a golden time. And, and you can imagine the tortured reality that people live under in order to say such Saddam a thing. Is. 
And, and, and so the reality is when people ask the Christians and say, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? Really, the response that we generally make is, why do you ask us? We lose. Whether it's this way, whether it's that way, whether it's that way, we just lose. We don't make the decision. Nobody talks to us. Nobody cares about us. We're just the losers. And we're just the victims no matter which way this goes. And so we, our answer is we are not the appropriate group to try to, to make into the decision makers on this. You know, there is no violence that's happening in the Middle East that's being initiated by the Christians anywhere. The one thing you can be sure of is that they're on the receiving end of it everywhere. So, so you know, our, our answers to these things is it's a human tragedy. We wish they would all just stop so we could live in peace. People just want to live normal lives in, in peace. All right. I don't have a sophisticated question. My name is Janet, and I have... Uh, been con personally concerned about this for years. It seems a very sad situation. And what I want to ask you is, um, I think, you know, I've thought a long time, how do you tell people about this? It's very difficult to do. If I start talking about this to my friends or something, they're like, well, yeah, that's a long way away, or where is this place, or what are you talking about, or um, something else that's equally irrelevant. But I think one of the things that touches people a lot sometimes is a story about an individual or a family, or even hearing, I heard some bishop or priest, maybe it was a priest, in Ebel, and his big problem was he had run out of ladies' shoes, and he had no fuel, just for burners to keep people from freezing to death. And that kind of thing, I think sometimes, it's not very sophisticated, but I think sometimes, if I, I wish I could find access quickly to such stories, honestly, because I have a son who's somewhat good with social media, and they can be spread. And I would be very happy to do that. Thank you. The secret in getting good stories is to know Arabic. Yeah, yeah. So, so you see, you see already, already, this your question is signaling that we are two worlds. We are separated people. But when you said when I talk to people, when I approach people, they are. They don't connect to this. Immediately in my heart came the answer, if you really talk to genuine Christians, they will listen. This is where the gospel changes us. This is where the gospel make us listen to others. This is where we see the face, the shining, the beautiful face of Christ, magnificent, and the cry of other people, whether they are from Africa, whether they are from here in native places, Native Americans, whether they are Iraqis, no matter who they are, whether they are my neighbor who is going through some hard time. When you are a good Christian, and this is, I think, the duty of the church, to evangelize a new way of thinking, and using the example of suffering uh, and, and touching people's lives and thoughts, I think 
every human being is a good human being. If we are able to dust off what materialism, what secularism, what, I don't know, what, what indifference can pressure, can uh, dominate that Christian character. That's why, and I try to say this for the 10th time today, I am so happy to see you interested. And I'm so happy that the Knights of Columbus have a program to go to various parishes and begin this exchange. It's beautiful to see people that care. Let me just add one brief story to what Bishop Soro said. In 2016, when we were working in Iraq to, to find stories like this, to tell the State Department what had occurred, we met a woman, uh, my colleague Scott Lloyd met her, named Kalia. And Kalia had lived in Karakosh when ISIS invaded. She was a Syriac Christian. And she was captured by ISIS along with a couple of dozen other people. She was a woman in her mid-50s. And she physically fought them off when they came to, quote, marry the nine-year-old girls, when they came to uh, abduct the younger women. She would physically fight them off. At a certain point, they put a gun to her head and a sword to her throat and said, look, it's time for you to convert. You know, we've, we've had enough of this. And her response, which is something I think about a lot, was, Jesus died for me, so it's all right if I die for him. She didn't leave her faith. She kept her faith. Eventually, they dumped her in the middle of the desert, and she walked, you know, 40 or 50 miles to her beal. But that kind of a story, this is what these people did. They literally lost everything but their faith for their faith. And there are other stories like that, and it would probably be a good idea for us to post some of these, because we have, we have some, and, and there, there could be more. So... You know, I thank you all very much for, for coming. I think this is bringing us to the end of our time. And on behalf of our Supreme Knight, Carl Anderson, Your Excellency, thank you very much for initiating this program in the Archdiocese of Hartford. Because this program, we've already had other dioceses interested in doing something similar. It's really groundbreaking to bring the young people into it. And to have our, our home diocese be the one that sort of took up this issue and embraced it has, been, has meant a lot to us personally and has really been a model, I think, for dioceses around the country. So thank, thank you very much. And thank all of you very much as well for coming and for your interest and support. Thank you. Thank you.